So we're coming off the, the hills of the most popular day in church, Easter, right? Where more people come and gather in buildings across the world than any other day, any other Sunday. You know, a lot of people show up on Christmas and Easter and they check those two boxes and then uh, they have a tendency to, you know, take sabbaticals for the other 50 weeks during the year. And so it does bring a bareness of sadness to us, but it also reminds us when we do gather that we're gathering to worship a resurrected king. And so last week at Easter, we, re- we, we gathered and we worshiped the resurrected Christ. But this week, as we gather, we are still worshiping the resurrected Christ. Every Lord's Day is a day where we worship the resurrected Christ. But inside of that, what we're also reminded of is that we too can celebrate that resurrection grace with him. We too have been uh, resurrected from, from uh, death to life. From the nature and the power of sin bearing over us to a, a newness of life. Romans 8 says, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells within you. We should hear that verse and we should celebrate. We should hear that and get super excited what Christ is doing, that the power of the living God lives, exists, indwells within us and inside that that gifting that indwelling within us that there comes a whole menu of of tools and uh, of gifts that God gives us today for us to practice not just practice but it's also for us to remember that we we're risen with Christ from the grave we don't have to wait for a heavenly resurrection we can start practicing the kingdom of God living out the kingdom of God right here right now with one another inside this church inside this county, inside this state, and as the Lord sends us out, that we continue to to point others to how great and how magnificent He is. So Romans 12.3 says, For by grace has been given to me, I say to everyone among you, do not think of himself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. I think the key statement here, the key to this statement here, um, is measure of faith. That word in the Greek means, literally means, uh, to practice, um, uh, I mean, sorry, a standard of measurement. Okay? And so Tim Keller says, all of us have been given our saving faith in Christ crucified. And that is how we are to measure ourselves, by the measurement that, of what Christ has done for us on our behalf. So what we can't do is we can't add anything to what God has given us in this gift of, of resurrection grace. Yeah. And so what it also tells us is that there is no place for us to think of us as being more highly than someone else or more lowly than someone else. Nor is there a, a, a gift set that's given to us that is more powerful or more inferior when we get this gift of salvation through the, through the grace of Christ and he gives us these gifts, what happens is that we start to view the world through the lens of the gospel. And so uh, JP said this a couple weeks ago when we were in Romans 12, the first part of Romans 12. And he says um, that, we, that our minds have to be renewed to be transformed, right? And transformation comes through a steady dose of God's word, of God's community, and in God's time. 
So this is a process of understanding what we have been saved from as we grow in Christ. So I think about that phrase, measurement of faith that he has assigned. Now think about it as, as a tape measure. Okay? So I got a prop for us this morning. A little verb, a little, little visual prop. That, that the measurement of faith, the standard of faith is what God has given us. And inside this is a 25 foot measurement. But inside of this, if this is the measurement of faith that God has assigned, that it's a perfect measurement. It's, it's all. There's nothing that we can do to add to the measurement of faith that God has given to us. He has given us his, uh, this gift of faith in full. And as we walk with God and as we, we, we live out our sanctification, we live out our life with God, what happens is that he begins to expose more and more of what that faith looks like and how it's played out. And how we're to be obedient and how we're to be useful for the kingdom of God. But what we don't do is that we don't increase what God has already given. God has given us the full measurement of faith. We would never choose God on our own. It has to be the work of the Holy Spirit doing something in us to draw us near. Our natural proclivity would be to to continue to live our lives out in the flesh. But because of the gift of faith through the work of the Holy Spirit that indwells within us, he draws us near and he gives us newness in life. And as we grow, we also learn that there's a cost that was paid. A cost for us to be able to be called his sons and daughters. And that too was paid in full. That the one who was unworthy to die a sinner's death because he was without sin, surrendered to the will of God and bore the wrath of God. So that those who deserve us, the death of a sinner, would be saved. When we start seeing God's holiness and our sinfulness, we begin to rely more on him and less on us. And I think that helps us to see that the magnitude of the measure of faith, the the measurement that he has given us, is greater than we ever could ever understand. But as we walk with him and as we live our life with him, he begins to expose more and more. And I think this comes in a very practical way. Right? He gives us this list today of things that we can do, these attributes of what it's like to be a follower of Christ and how we can care for one another. And he uses this language of gifts. And again, these gifts are not a, of, of any rank or position. They're tools. There's, they're tools that we get to live our lives and point others to who Christ is as the king. Uh, I'm not a, a big bumper sticker fan. But uh, when I became a Christian, I was 21 years old, and some friends gave me bumper stickers. And one of the bumper stickers said, uh, my boss is a Jewish carpenter. And then another one said, real men love Jesus. Okay? And so I put them on my car. Now, I don't have anything against people putting these stickers on their car, but I know how bad a driver I am and what a bad witness that sometimes can be. And I know my attitude and my own uh, issues with rage. Uh, But there is one bumper sticker that I see today that I do like. Uh, it's this, it's this simple code. It says, H-E greater than sign I. He is greater than I. I like that because that is a simple reminder that anything that we do, that God is always greater than us. In every way that we live our lives, God is always greater than us. And it's cool because it's about, by the time someone uncodes what he, H-E, greater sign I is, they've probably forgotten like you just cut them off and you're a bad driver. So that's part, partially uh, of it, the good of it too. So today I want us to look 
um, at these gifts. That we're God's workmanship created in Christ for good works. And that God has prepared all this beforehand. And we're all uniquely gifted. But we're also gifted in different ways. And I think part of that, maybe this is the counselor side of me, is that God will use your life, your whole life, to shape you into who you will be and how you will be used. He'll use your, your, your life experience, the way that you're raised. He'll use your education. He'll use your jobs, um, job experience. He'll use, uh, any struggles that you had. And all, and God can use all these things, even that things that happened before we became believers to shape us into how He will use us for His glory today as believers. And some of us in here are still trying to discover who we are. What is our gift set? I have that conversation with people all the time. It's like, I don't know how God's going to use me. Well, I would start with saying, read passages over and over like the ones we're going we're gonna to go through here in a, in a minute. There are several passages that give these long lists of attributes and, and how God has gifted us and empowered us to be his sons and daughters for his glory. So I'd say, read God's word and those lists of things. Two, I'd say, ask someone. Ask someone that knows you well. How do you think God has gifted me? For us to ask each other. Say, hey, how has God gifted me? How do you see God using me or working in me? And even today, as we go through this list here in just a moment, if something rings true to your heart, well, that might be something that, that God's saying, this is how I have gifted you and I want to use you today. So Romans twelve six says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. So Paul immediately says, these are these gifts and we're called into action. We're called to use them. Now the thing we have to be careful of is this heresy that says, if we do these things and God will love me more, or if we do these things and this is how we are saved. That's not true. We do these things because of a response to who Jesus is and what he has done for us on the cross. So if it's prophecy, then proportion to your faith. If service in our serving... The one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now, I don't think this is an exhaustive list. I think that we see other lists in, in God's word um, that would that will tease out some of these attributes a little bit more. But this is what the word that God has given us today. And so I'm going to trust that this list is the word that's for us today. And so I just want to kind of walk through some of these um, these things this morning. This is how we are called to do. And, and Paul says that very uh, clearly right there. Let us use them. Now, a lot of times what we're going to talk about is that when we do these things, we're so quick to fall into the doctrine of sin is that this is about me. It's not about God. Our natural proclivity is to serve ourselves first. We're naturally hardwired in the doctrine of sin that we've adopted from our parents in the garden from Adam and Eve. Genesis 3, 6 says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took it and she ate of it. That is us. We're so quick to fall into that same trap. Even when, even when something good, like a gift, is given to us, it can quickly become an, a good thing can quickly become an evil thing when we make it a, a me thing. And so we have to go into reading this list and understanding this thing that God is calling us into with that caveat of like, we're sinful by nature. And we so often can make it about ourselves. 
So let's look at some of these. Let's look at all, all seven of these things, these attributes here. Okay, we got prophecy, service, teaching, exhorting, giving, leading, acts of mercy. And we'll quickly walk through all of them. So take prophecy. I don't think Paul is talking about a divinely inspired message from God here. We see that in the New Testament. We see how, how God uses the apostles to give a divinely, uh, divine message to those in the church. But in the context here, we see it's associated with the gift of faith in full measurement of what Christ has already done. And so more than likely it means that what we already have. And so we take what we already have in, in the whole of scripture and what we're to do in, in prophecy is to speak truth, to speak God's word, not add to it, but to speak God's word over people's lives, to encourage them, to empower them when they're saddened, to uh, refresh them with God's beautiful and, and uh, life-giving word. We are to use his word as a light to help restore people back to find their hope in God. Because God is always gracious and great and good and glorious, we're the ones that so quickly forget those things about him. And so we need God's word to remind us. So if, if speaking truth into someone's life is your gift set, then, then, then go and do that in accordance to what you know, right? In accordance to the faith that you have. So use what God has given you in your life and how God's word has restored you, and then go and share that with other people. That's that call. But if we're not careful, right, we can slide into that, hey, if someone's messed up or out of line, we can make them feel really bad about themselves by correcting them, right? Or we can go and we can speak over them and speak right past them just to make ourselves feel good. That's the sinfulness of it. Is that a lot of times we take God's word and we abuse it because we want to feel smarter or wiser or more, uh, more of an authority over someone's life. But that's not how... Jesus taught us that when we think about sharing God's word, we need to think about it through how he is as a reflection of our king, as our God, as our father, as our savior, because he's patient, he's kind, he's merciful, he's loving. So when we speak truth into someone's life, we should speak it with those things in mind. Service. Here's one. Uh, the word literally means to practice serving or practical service. Uh, so this person usually doesn't desire to be in the spotlight. It's usually someone that works really well with other people on a team and they usually do more than they're ever asked to do. And so sometimes service is this beautiful picture of people working behind the scenes, but we've all fallen guilty to that sinful trap that I'm going to serve only to be served, right? We all fall guilty of like, I'm going to do the dishes because and fill in the blank. And that's the trap of our own sinful nature, is that we would serve um, in the wake of uh, thinking that it's going to be about us, that we make this self-righteousness in serving. We do this a lot on vacation. We've worked really hard, right? And so now we're going to go to the resort, and we're going to be uh, served. And what happens, and if, if you have a heart that, of service, what happens when you see someone serving you, you have an immediate heart of gratitude, you're like, man, I'm so thankful for you doing what you're doing. Thanks for being here. Thanks for serving us here at this resort. Thanks for being at the, the a great host and welcoming us. But if you have that sinful nature inside of you, sometimes you think, well, this is a rite of passage, and I'm, I'm here to be served. But our king of kings, the one that deserves all worship, every knee to bow and every tongue to confess that he is king, came and said, I came to, to serve. 
not to be served. And so wherever we go, whatever we do, whenever we're around people that are serving or if we're serving, that we'd have that, that heart of Christ. Teaching. Uh, if you have the gift of explaining and you're creative in helping others understand, um, then you probably have the gift of teaching. This is a beautiful gift. And some preachers are great teachers and some teachers are great preachers. Some people folk are, do thrive really well one-on-one teaching or in small groups and some in larger crowds. But this teaching to help us understand and explaining God's word is such a beautiful thing. Not just God's word, but, but even math. <laughs> like being able to explain and teach and be gentle and be kind and be sweet as we're teaching other people. But if sin creeps in, we're real quick to be intolerant, real quick to be get easily frustrated, controlling. We think that what we're teaching it becomes dogma, it becomes dogmatic over someone's life. And what happens is that we end up leaving the student or whoever we're teaching, we leave them in the dust. We walk away from them, and we're not we're not being what Christ has taught us to be. When Jesus met, when Jesus taught, he met everyone right where they were, using their language and their environment. And he was patient, he was long-suffering, and he was gracious in his teaching. So if the gift of teaching is something that you have that's ringing true to your heart, then think about it through the lens of how Jesus taught. Exhorting. Now this is a beautiful one, a beautiful gift. I am a words of affirmation kind of guy, so I like uh, to be around people that are encouragers. I see a lot of faces in here that are encouragers this morning. I'm thankful for you guys. Um, and this is a unique gift because it's someone that, that has the ability to make people feel very comfortable in their skin, right where they are. They're encouragers in the sense that they listen well, that they're fully present when, uh, in, in the moment of someone's hurting or someone's suffering. They, they're not quick to have to re- uh, correct or fix, but they're able to sit and listen well and encourage at the right time with the right words. They're really great at walking alongside someone as they're walking through a difficult time. But if we're not careful, what happens is that you hear someone say something about a rough day and you go, yeah, that was really hard. And then you try to one-up them, right? Man, your dog died? Wow, my dog, my cat, and my pig. <laughs> they're all gone. And you just blow right past them. You don't even, you don't even consider their hurt. When our sin creeps in, we make everything about us and our own self-righteousness instead of being present and walking with them through their, their sadness. How about the joyful giver? Man, what a blessing. This person is someone that God has blessed to be a blessing to others. It's not about a, um, the person that has the most wealth. It's about the heart of the giver. It's the person that's, that's willing to give and it's unproportionate to the size um, of, of, of their means. They give to the place where they hurt, but they do it with great joy without wanting to be recognized. They give it in a way that, that is uh, discerning and careful. And they pray over their, their, their gifts. And it's a beautiful gift to the body of Christ. It's a beautiful gift to the world. That we would have more people that are that have a desire uh, to be generous. They don't find their, their identity in what they have, but they find their identity in finding joy in Christ. And that makes it so much easier just to let go and say, this none of this is mine anyway. So I'm called to be a generous giver. And if that's a gift, it's literally a gift that God has put on you in your heart, then be generous. 
I love that uh, Paul uses leadership as as uh, the sixth attribute here. Leadership is uh, an individual gift, but it's such a body. It's such is used for the body in so many different ways. Leadership uh, is the greatest asset is to the body is by leading others in a vision and helping others to find out where they are and who they are in Christ. What a beautiful gift for someone to come alongside you and lead you to help you understand where you're gifted. That's a great gift. And so leaders, um, that word literally means, uh, well, the, the Greek word is uh, prostami. And that means... Uh, Someone that manages or leads well. And that's the word that's described in the entirety of the New Testament when we talk about elders. Elders in a church are folks that can, can lead and manage and care for others well. They do all these other things well. right? They serve and they encourage and they teach. And they, they're generous and they love well. But their greatest asset is that they come alongside and they shape and form and disciple people. And that's a great gift. And again, to go back, none of these gifts are greater than the other one. It's just these are all beautiful within their own selves. And so leadership. One thing, one note real quick is that here at CODA, we have a plurality of elders. And what that does is that that prevents us from falling into that trap of self-righteousness. Where no, no elder is greater than the other. We're all elders amongst equals. And so we have five elders here and that we have an accountability that there is no place for self-righteousness in, uh, in our elder team and in the church. We want it to be something that is, is, uh, we're, we're sharing and spreading out that leadership and we all come to decisions together through the work of the Holy Spirit in us. And that's what a leadership looks like. And then the last one, uh, is the phrase, uh, to show mercy or acts of mercy. And this is a wonderful gift to the church as well. These these people are people that are moved to work in the same ways. They do all the same things they do it, but they do it in a way to others that can't do it for themselves. They have this level of sensitivity just to care for those who cannot care for themselves. Including the poor, the weak, the sick, the prisoner, the addict, the orphan, the widow, the elderly, the oppressed. They have this, this beautiful sense about them that they can recognize and know how to walk with and care for those that don't know how to care for themselves and a lot of times we don't recognize those people without that gift we don't recognize that that need inside the body of christ without people that are gifted in that way bringing that to our attention and so what a wonderful gift so you look at these seven different attributes these seven different things that god has gifted to the body of christ for his glory and we can see the the pitfalls in all of them we can see how we can make all these things about us and so what happens is that um, we read the rest of this passage and it, it continues to uh, encourage us to when you do these things make sure you're doing them in a specific way and so in verse 9 it says let love be genuine Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. So it it seems like that Paul is reiterating a lot of things he just said, but he's doing it with the caveat that if you, when you do these things, make sure that love, that your love is genuine in doing them. 
We see Paul impact that further in, in 1 Corinthians 12 and 13, saying that anything that you do, no matter what it is that you do, if you don't do it as the, with the, the fuel in your heart, the base of the foundation of why you're moving, if it's not love, then it's dead. It's not worth anything. And so let your love be genuine in the way that we serve and care for one another. When we do these things for ourselves and we quickly become the center of it, the spotlight turns on us, we become the hero, and Jesus is no longer the hero. So please, when we go, when you serve, do it with the fuel and the motivation of God's true love in us. Let him be the hero. The fact that we have the ability, the gifts, the aptitude, the conviction, and the desire in our heart at all is such a gift. So don't turn it and make it about us. Because when we do, we move something that's good, a good thing, and we make it an evil thing when it becomes a, a me thing. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. So God's love, as we can talk about that for just a moment, that word is agape there. That is the word. It means uh, it has without dissimulation or hypocrisy. It's not defined or conformed by the, the love that we feel in the world. It's defined and and uh, founded in the cross and what Jesus has done for us. It's the purest, the most honest type of love. And it has to be the fuel. We have to rely on that to, to understand the measurement of faith that we are moved and called to do in, and, uh, in the body of Christ. So we always have to ask our, our, ourselves this question, are we loving and kind on the outside, yet on the inside is there some bitterness? Or are we disgruntled about something? Or are we loving because it's moral? Are we loving because I'm expecting something out of this? Or I'm loving because God's going to love me more if I do this? Or are we loving because we're expecting to secure our salvation out of our actions? Or are we loving because the gospel has shown us the love of Christ and what he's bestowed upon us through what he conquered in death and the burial of and, the, and sin on the cross? Is that why we're moving. Love is not a means to an end. It's a response to the cross. And he goes on, he says, show brotherly love to one another. Take uh, the love that you have for family and apply that inside this local body, inside this county, inside with other believers. Let's love one another well. Jesus says that you will know my disciples by how they love each other. And so we're called to love one another we're called to, to, to outdo one another. I love that phrase that you would outdo. It's like a competition, right? It's that you're, you're going into it and you're going to outserve your brother or sister. You're going to be more lowly, more humble, out care. You're going to treat someone more valuable than you treat yourself. But that's to bear resemblance of what Jesus did on the cross. Not to truly find like, oh, I'm the winner of humility. But it's to truly, to, to show that resemblance of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. So love is full of action, and it's also full of empathy. God's word tells us to rejoice with those who rejoice, to weep with those who weep. So we see the physical needs and we meet them. And we're quick to share our homes, our, our money, our things. But it'd be real easy to, to slide into that with the, with the thinking like, I've got a good, pure heart and I'm going to do what, what God has called me to do because it's God's word that's called me to do this. But there's a special instruction that's right here. And I think it's the linchpin to understand the measurement of faith that we talked about earlier. For us to go and do, 
Paul tells us that we have to be in constant prayer. So please don't go and do without first um, passing it through the filter of prayer. Praying and, and seeking God in word and community and alone time with him. Let the Holy Spirit be what moves you to do. Not just because you feel like it's the right thing or it's moral, but because the Holy Spirit has moved us into doing something for the glory of God. The standard of all these gifts have been shown to us and has been given to us in Christ alone. He is the great high priest and that he understands the struggle, but yet he was in constant prayer. So when you look at these attributes, Jesus, he was perfect in his prophecy. He was sacrificial in his service. He was excellent in his teaching. He was comforting in his exhorting. He was more generous than any giver. He was a perfect leader. And he was the king of mercy. So as we leave here today, then let us leave by following in the, the, the likeness of Christ. Because there's no better example. There's no other example. We don't need to compare ourselves to each other. We just need to find ourselves in constant prayer and asking the Holy Spirit to guide us. Let's pray. God, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for uh, your your grace and your generosity and your care. God, thank you for becoming uh, the one that was the king, the, the king's servant. And so as we worship today, Lord, as we continue through uh, coming to the Lord's, your table, let us be reminded um, of our great need, our great need to look to you as the king, as our leader, as the one that's done all these things for us so that we wouldn't have to try to prove ourselves, but we find our identity in you and in you alone. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.